Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, then go ahead and grab them. We are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. So we're going to be taking a break from our series in Hebrews. We had kind of a change of plans with all the rain this weekend. We didn't get to baptize last night. So I am thrilled with the opportunity to preach this morning from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10 Verses 38 through 42. So again, if you have your Bible, you have your device. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And in this story, Jesus is on His way toward Jerusalem. He's on His way to the cross and ultimately to the resurrection on the third day. And He makes a a stop in the village of Mary and Martha. So these are two sisters that are not unfamiliar to us if you've read through the Gospels. In fact, you you probably know them more because of who their brother is, a man by the name of Lazarus, whom Jesus raises from the dead in John chapter 11. These are two sisters that both love Jesus, but who show it in two separate ways. And yet, as we're going to progress through the narrative, one is rebuked by Jesus and the other is commended by Christ. And so two sisters that that provide for us a parable, a lens through which we can see ourselves. I believe that this story is here in the book of Luke, not just to to tell us this, this nice, cute story about what happened to Jesus, but to provide, again, a lens through which we can see our own human sinfulness, because the Word of God applies just as much to us today as it did when it was written. If I were to take a poll of individuals really just across the border, even just within the church, within this congregation, and I ask you to describe your life in one word, so what your life is like in one word, I'm willing to bet that more often than not, the word I would would hear back is the word busy. The word busy. It's It's a badge of honor for most of us, right? It's how we answer questions within ourselves. It's how we start conversations. Hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm busy. It's a global pandemic going on. Are you staying busy? As if being busy is the standard of achievement, as if busy is the same thing as productive or the same thing as significance or the same thing as being meaningful. And this takes place not only in our our culture at large, where many people feel like they're missing out on something if they don't have something going on every single night of the week. But it takes place in the church as well. In the minds of a lot of individuals, the the sign of health within a church can be seen by the, the priority, the emphasis that they put on the church calendar. As if what programs were were present or even programs lacking is the sign of faithfulness to Christ. Now, do not misunderstand me. I I love events. I love having things going on. In fact, again, parents, if you haven't seen our update, the, the youth fall calendar is out. Go check it out on the website. Check it out on the app. I think that events provide an opportunity for us to grow in Christ, to mature, as well as to, to grow in community. But what we're, we're going to see through the life of Martha and Mary is that being busy can often lead to the neglect of that which is primary 
and necessary. That there are a lot of good things in the world, but there's only one thing that is necessary. And we're going to see that clearly in our text this morning. So hopefully by now you are with me in Luke chapter 10, and I'll read verses 38 through 42. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your body to worship Christ. Lord, we are here to worship you. Worship you through singing, worship you through hearing your word preached, worship you through giving, worship you by fellowshipping with one another. Father, I pray that our heart is set on Christ, that we are here to worship you. And God, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak, Spirit, that you would permeate this place, that you would move, that you would enlighten our hearts, that we would see that this is a lens in which we could see easily ourselves. To help us to see where we, we elevate the good and forsake the best. Help us to focus on Christ for your glory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we read that as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Jesus is traveling with his disciples and is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die as a substitute for sin and be raised on the third day. And he makes a pit stop in this village. Now we know that Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem because he says this in Luke chapter 9. It says that Jesus set his face to go toward Jerusalem. So every step that he takes has the goal of being in Jerusalem for Passion Week. Ultimately, which will lead to his death on the cross. So Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem when he enters a village, the village of Martha and Mary. And upon entering this village, Martha welcomes him into her house. Whether she's the owner of the house or whether uh, she's just running the household is not clear from the text. But what is clear by her welcoming him into her house is that she holds Jesus in high honor. She opens her home to him and begins to serve all those who are present. And it's at this moment, when things should be good, that a conflict begins to arise. Because as, as Martha is busy with serving, her sister, who's supposed to be helping her, is seated. And this would be incredibly frustrating for someone, for anyone, who's trying to serve a large group. And for as long as I've been alive, every 4th of July, my grandparents have hosted a cookout. 
So I'm 26. I've been to 26 cookouts at my grandparents' house. The size of the cookout can, can vary. We've had as few as just a couple families and as many as 40 to 60 people at one time, correct? They're sitting down, the, down here, so you talk to them about it after. And it's something I always, I always look forward to this. It's a highlight of my year every year. Right? They have a, a big backyard. We play lawn games. We have cornhole. We play ladder toss. We've had badminton in the past. We've had wiffle ball. We've had ultimate frisbee. They have a pool that we swim in. Always have great food. A lot of people come together. It's just a great time. Again, it's a, it's a highlight of my year every year. It's something I look forward to every summer. May, June, I'm getting ready for the 4th of July to come. But the only way that this cookout will be successful is if more than just my grandparents are involved in the preparation and execution of it. All right, food is being cooked in the kitchen. Other food is being grilled outside. Sweet tea, lemonade, soda, water all need to be taken from inside the house to outside the house. Tables need to be set up. Tents need to be everywhere because it usually rains. Pretty much anything I'm involved with that's outside always ends up raining. So all that needs to be, to be set up. And it takes more than just two people to do all this. The entire family chips in. Guests usually, they, they come in, they drop off whatever food they've, they've brought and the first question out of, their mouth, uh, out of their mouth is, how can I help? All right, what needs to be done? It takes a lot of hands in order to ensure that everyone has a good time at this cookout. My grandparents love hosting it and serving, but it takes more than just them. Now imagine a cookout of, of this size, or even just having a family come visit your house, and the person you were expecting to help you is just sitting down. Right, this would, would go from a slight annoyance. Right, Maybe they, they just got finished doing something and they're sitting down for a second. They'll be back up shortly. But the longer they sit, the more the annoyance turns into frustration, turns into anger. Now, Martha has invited the most important person in the universe to her house, and her sister's not helping at all. Martha is irritated, to say the very least. But why is, is Mary sitting? Is she just being lazy? And it's in this moment we learn what's actually going on. Look back at verse 39. Verse 39 says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. So yes, she is sitting, but she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and is listening to His teaching. She's not being idle. She's not being lazy. She loves Jesus just as much as her sister does, but she instead of serving decides that her time would be better spent by listening to what Jesus has to say. So she's hanging on to every word that comes out of his mouth. Now how is Martha described? Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
She is so busy serving that she is unable to listen to the one whom she so honors to what he actually has to say. And note, note the contrast between the two. Mary is listening, and she's attentive to the words that Jesus is speaking, but Martha is distracted. She's busy. Jesus was only going to be in their home for a finite amount of time. He had places to go. He's going to Jerusalem. He was ultimately going to the cross. And so his time would be limited with them. How would they choose to spend this time? One was so busy trying to serve Jesus that she missed the preciousness of the moment of spending time with Jesus. The other, recognizing what is taking place, chooses to sit at the feet of her Lord and listen. Church, we have a limited amount of time on this earth. Do we choose to sit and listen to our Lord by digging into His Word? Is this what characterizes us? But we need to recognize something, though. On the surface, neither action is sinful. Both are positive options. It's not wrong for Martha to want to serve Jesus in her house. It's not wrong that she's trying to be a good host. In fact, it's a noble thing to do. She was trying to honor Jesus and working hard for Him. However, in in doing so, she missed being with Christ. Look at verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha cannot take it any longer. She's had enough. She's frustrated that she alone is bearing the entire weight of serving this group. Because again, more than just Jesus is present. He has his disciples, and more than likely, there are others from the village who entered alongside them just so they could listen to Jesus. So it's more than just Jesus there. But see how she approaches Jesus, and she wants him to act on her behalf. But notice what the text says. It says, she went up to him and spoke. She went up to him and spoke. She doesn't pull Jesus aside and say, hey, hey, Jesus, I know you're teaching. I appreciate you being here. But if you wouldn't mind, maybe when you go back in, just tap on on Mary's shoulder. It's really not fair that I'm doing all this by myself. I I think she should help me. No, she doesn't do that. She goes up to Jesus in front of everyone and speaks, perhaps even trying to embarrass Mary in front of the other guests. After all, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus side with her? Wouldn't Jesus understand that it's not fair for, for her, for Martha, to have to do all this by herself? Wouldn't he agree, after all, that, that Mary should, should have, to, have to serve? Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled 
about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus in a a loving, gentle way rebukes Martha. Far from taking her side in the argument, he says that Mary actually is the one who chose what is right. He says that she's anxious, she's troubled about many things. About many things, showing that her response in this moment, this outburst, is based upon more than just this single moment. That there's something deeper going on than just Mary not serving. There are many things contributing to this outburst. And in bringing this to light, he reveals sin that resides deep within her heart. She doesn't want to be viewed as a poor host. She wants everyone to be served properly so that as they leave, she'd be commended. Hey, thanks for having us over, Martha. Thanks for having Jesus come. I didn't have to worry about anything. I just got to sit and I got to listen. Thank you for doing this. There's a hint of the fear of man interaction of seeking to honor God. There's a trace of her trying to please people in what on the surface is her trying to serve Jesus. And along with this, in seeking to serve Jesus, she actually fails to honor Jesus because she's neglecting His teaching. What honors Christ more in this moment? Making sure His glass is full or listening to what He has to say and obey? That's a refrain all throughout the Old Testament, is it not? I don't delight in your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, so much as I do a heart that loves me, that listens to what I have to say. God says that throughout the Old Testament. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the only thing that is truly necessary. She's chosen to listen to the words of her Lord. She's chosen to dwell at His feet as long as she possibly can because the party will eventually end. Everyone will leave. Everyone will go home. Jesus will continue on His journey. But the words of Christ are eternal. The grass withers. The flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever. They cannot and will not be taken from Mary. So Jesus understands what is going on. He understands what matters most. And He doesn't rebuke Martha because she's acting sinfully, but because she willingly gave up the best on behalf of what is good. It's good to be a good host, but it's best to be with Jesus. And the reality is that there are a lot of good things in our lives that need to be set aside 
in the pursuit of that which is best. Namely, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But how often do we act just like Martha? We fail to spend time with Jesus because we're so distracted by the busyness of life. We've heard in, in Hebrews chapter 12 over the last couple of weeks that what often holds us back from, from running the race that Christ has set before us are weights. They're not sinful actions. They're good things that are robbing us of the best thing. And so Hebrews 12 teaches us, set those aside in order to pursue Christ, to run the race that is set before you. We live and breathe distractions. We inhabit a world that is so fast, and we spend our life just trying to, just trying to keep up. And the thought of slowing down scares us. In fact, one of the most unsettling things for most of us is silence. Silence absolutely scares us. It unnerves us. And so we spend our lives in the pursuit of noise, of something going on in the background. And yet, it is only by slowing down that we're able to know the Lord in a deep and meaningful way. Those who, who know me well, especially when I get to talking about theology, get to talking about church history, know that I have a deep love and appreciation for the Puritans. It's this group of Christians from the 17th century, the 1600s in England. The Puritans often have a, a terrible reputation. Right? If you say the word Puritan now, it's usually used as a, a slur, a negative attribute. And in most people's minds, they just think Puritans are those who are just austere, they're always serious, they don't like to have fun, they're killjoys. In fact, their goal in life is just to, to find children having fun so that they can stop it. But if you actually get to know these individuals, these men and women that have long since gone on to glory, you'll see that they are some of the most mature, joy-filled Christians in church history. Their depth, their grasp of the things of God is unrivaled, in my opinion. Right, there might be a few isolated individuals throughout church history that might have been more mature, but as a group, I think they're unmatched. And J.I. Packer, who recently just passed away, he said this, he said, The Puritans were and remain an example of folk who lived slowly enough to think deeply about God. So how are they so mature in their walk with Christ? They lived slowly enough to think deeply about God. This is the, the very thing that we are most uncomfortable with, the thing we are most unwilling to do. To slow down 
and to think deeply about God. We want everything instantaneously. We do not want to wait for anything. And it shows in our walk with Christ. Simply having activities going on does not necessarily mean that we're growing in depth with our Lord. Nor even that, we're truly, that we truly believe in Christ. Simply attending church saves no one. And we cannot substitute activities for Christ in place of intimacy with Christ. Let me say that again. We cannot substitute activities, our serving opportunities that are good, but we can't so pursue them that they take up the place of actually knowing Jesus. We need to be like Mary, who who sees that her greatest treasure, her greatest need is found in her Lord. And, And being with Him, and listening to what He has to say, and obeying His Word, is what is most desirable in life. This is the picture of a saved sinner. Take a look at your life. What takes up most of your time? What consumes your thoughts as you lay in bed at night? I fear that we're, we're trading temporal service on God's behalf. I serve on this committee. I serve on this team. I teach this Sunday school. We're trading these temporal services that are good in exchange for intimacy with God Himself. You see, Christ is more glorified when it's out of a heart that deeply loves Jesus, that knows Jesus, that we serve. Rather than serving in place, in cover, of not actually knowing Jesus. So Christ is more glorified when you so love Him that you're willing to work hard for Him, rather than work hard for Him and not really spend time getting to know Him. In the book of Acts, when the early church is being established, the apostles are, are preaching the gospel, do you remember how they're characterized? By the religious leaders, by the Jewish leaders? We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It was evident to the Jewish leaders that they had been with Jesus. It was not their education. They didn't have any. (laughs) It was not their status in society. They didn't have any. What set them apart was the fact that they had been with Jesus. So when people see you, is that how they characterize you? Is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. If you spend enough time with somebody, you begin to smell like them. Whether that's your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, your dog, right? Whoever you spend the most time with, you begin to smell like them. So when people are around you, do you smell like Jesus? Is it obvious to a watching world in your house, at your school, at your job, on your team, that you've been in the presence of Jesus? And that's what sets you apart from everyone else? It's not your education, it's not your status in society, it's the fact that you've been with Jesus? That you're daily in His presence? Mary chose the good portion. She chose what is eternal. She chose that which moth and rust could not destroy. She chose that which could not be taken away from her. She chose to sit at the feet of her Lord and to listen to His words. And to submit to Him. Martha was anxiously working because she did not see that her greatest need And her greatest treasure sitting right in front of her. Christian, which sister are you like? Again, even in a room this size, I don't assume everyone here is a follower of Christ. And so if that's you, if you've never trusted in Christ, then today is the day to do so. Jesus is going to leave this house, leave this village, and continue on to die as a substitute for sin and rise again on the third day so that those who repent of their sins, those who believe in Him, may not perish but have eternal life. To have intimacy with your Creator, that's what's offered you in the Gospel. That is the only necessary thing in life. If you've never done that, then today is the day. Do the only necessary thing. Choose the best thing. Choose the greatest source of treasure and delight and joy. Not just here, because here we will have tribulations. We will suffer here, but in eternity we get to be with God. But for the Christian here, which Which sister are you like? Do you miss activities going on in the church? Because it's at these activities you you grow in your love for Jesus, you grow in a community? Or do these activities simply provide a cover for you, a mask, right? We're all very familiar with masks now. Is it just a mask so that others don't see that you don't know Jesus? And for no other reason, this this pandemic has given all of us the opportunity to spend more time with Christ because we've been stuck at home. Have you used your time well? And once the world returns to a a semblance of normal, whatever that's going to look like, once the calendar begins to be filled up again, are you content to return to your old walk with Christ? 
Is it not possible that the sovereign Lord of the universe meant this disruption as an opportunity for you to have a deeper walk with Christ? That when everything starts back again, if you're in the same place you were in February and March, that this would have been a wasted opportunity. God is giving you an opportunity for more fruitful time spent in the Bible. To have more enjoyment in prayer as we see our true dependence on Him. With the entire world put on hold, we can see clearly that only one thing is necessary. So let me ask you, deep within your soul, do you hunger and thirst for more God or for more events? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, because they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Are you daily filling your mind with the Word of God? Sitting at the feet of our Lord Are you content with sitting with Jesus for an hour every week? We need to choose the good portion. Do not trade what is temporal and lose the eternal. C.S. Lewis wrote famously in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. He writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So God's not, not saying, okay, you, you want things too much, and i got to curb you back. Lewis writes that our desires before God are actually too weak. He says we are half-hearted creatures. This is Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child, he writes, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Are you too easily pleased? Are you settling for something less than intimacy with your Savior, the God of the universe? Can you say that I know this God who loved me and gave himself for me? Do not spend your time in the pursuit of anything less than the good portion of knowing Christ. Relationships, career, advancement, sports, education, these are all good things, but they're temporal. They will end. Christ is eternal. And in Him, we have our greatest joy, our greatest treasure. We need to be willing, you need to be willing to live slower. To slow down. To give yourself time to think deeply about God. We need to be willing to to be a part of a community of other believers that knows you, that knows what you're struggling with, that knows what you're going through, and can encourage you on in your walk 
with Christ. We need to be committed to a church so that we can have a greater intimacy with Christ. A relationship with Christ is the only necessary thing in life. And He's better than anything you could even dream of. So don't rob yourself of the eternal best in the pursuit of an earthly good. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the, this story that provides a lens through which, honestly, I see myself. Far too often, I get caught up in events, things that are going on, and don't nearly enough just stop to be in Your presence, to drink deeply from the well that is inexhaustible. And Father, in a, in a church this size, I'm willing to bet that there are people that are just like me, that know within their hearts that they're not growing in Christ, that they're not spending time with you daily. They're filling their life with events so that when they, when they hear a, a, a message like this, well, I've got this going on. I can't read my Bible every day. I've got too much stuff going on. Lord, help us to understand that there's only one necessary thing in life, and that's knowing you. Lord, there's others here that don't know you at all. Lord, that having intimacy with a Savior is a, a foreign concept. And Lord, I pray that they would trust in you, that they would repent of their sin, believe in Christ, in your sinless life, in your, in your substitutionary death, and in your resurrection. Because it's in this we have hope, in this we have life. We're banking our eternity on the finished work of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that for those that are in here, that today would be the day that they would trust in you. Father, for those that are, are growing in their knowledge of you, I pray you would encourage them to continue on. There's only one necessary thing, it's knowing you. Help that to be an encouragement for how we schedule our lives. And Lord, even in the next couple moments as we worship you together through singing, I pray that that's exactly what we would do. We would worship you for the glory of Christ. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.